0: Good morning. Scripture reading will be in 1 John chapter 1. So as you flip there, you can stand. And I'll be reading starting in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have darkness with Him and yet walk in the darkness, Sorry. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just directing my heart and directing my eyes and just really illuminating this passage of scripture to me personally in these past weeks and months. God, thank you that you in your spirit are true, you through your word are true, and you seek for those who follow you to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, and not make you a liar and not deceive ourselves and not have an improper and hypocritical representation of you to others in this world. May we walk in the light as you are in the light. May we abide in you in the light of God. Abide in us. And may that light of life be an example. May it be a reminder. May it be a shield about us. As we undergo the temptations of the enemy that is around us, as we walk in a world that is full of lies, God that we would practice, that we would believe, and that we would abide in what is true, and that you would represent and manifest your glory through us, just by our simple faith in you, God to do the miraculous through us in and amongst us in and in amongst this world. We pray all this teaching, we pray all this learning, we pray just that living and walking God would be in you and to you and from you. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all may be seated. Good morning, I'm excited to be with you guys again. Uh, Most of you guys uh, I've not seen up at his his hill, actually for a good bit of you at, at this church I have. Uh, but not many of you have strolled through the office down the corridor into where me, John, and Charlie work. But if you do, or if you have, uh, my office is a little bit unique amongst the others. Uh, Once you kind of get to my office and open the door, you'll notice a couple things. One, my window is always closed, and my blinds are always shut completely. Two, my fluorescent light... Forever and always remains off, but I have filled my office with lamps, personal ambient light that I have brought from my house. To me, that is the best kind of light. It is the softest light. It's not so harsh. I, sunlight, you know, hurts my eyes, and all the students are always like, Connor, something's wrong with you. You don't like light? Well, no, I do. I love light. It's just certain types of light I really appreciate. Lately, um, light has been a picture, has been a truth, has been a reality that God has been showing me through His Word, Uh, just around us, you know, daylight savings time, you know, it involves light and changing the clocks, how much light that we have, how much light we don't have. I was put on social media this morning, I used to love daylight saving time. I used to just mark that day on the calendar, fall back an hour, man, that was the best. Refreshed, rejuvenated. And now I have children and I despise daylight saving time. <laughs> they don't make that transition. They don't say, "Ah, I'm more sleep." They get up just the same amount of time, but the clock now says 5:30. So, light has a lot to do with our everyday life and there's a lot of representations that God uses. Such an interesting picture that uh, is used all throughout Scripture and, and a lot of realities about Him. Uh, so more more than just the different forms of light there are, there are many different, different purposes for it. We know that the sun, God created in this universe to give light. It drives out the darkness. And we know that if the sun were to evaporate, science tells us we have about approximately eight minutes until the last beams of sun hit our world and then we die a very miserable and a very cold death almost immediately. So we need sun, and we need light, because it gives life. gives us nutrients, vitamins in life. We also know that light is a guide. We know from the Old Testament, uh, when God had rescued His people out of Egypt, one of the ways He represented Himself as the people of Israel followed Him into the Promised Land was a pillar of fire. Right? Light that lit up before them, not just this cloud where they're kind of really trying to see, is that a cloud? Is that not a cloud? Is that a vapor? Is that a mist? Is that rain? There's no question about it. It was a pillar of fire to guide them and to lead them. Just even in migration, scientists tell us, you know, that the birds, the whales, all these different creatures that use migrational patterns, all of that is used by sun, and the light that hits the world at different times, and so they move according to where the sun is, and migration patterns happen for that. We know that if you're ever lost, the sun rises in the east, and it sets in the west. It's for direction, it's for purpose, it's for guiding. We know that light also helps us see reality, to see what is true. You know, like waking up in the middle of the night, one of my three children is crying, and so that automatically is is my zone, it's is my time frame where I'm on. And so, you know, you've probably experienced this, most of you. Get up in the middle of the night, nothing like waking up to a to a cry, like a pitch, you know, a really loud, high-pitched scream. It's just a beautiful thing that you wake up and you, you start running and you probably forget your flashlight because you probably don't have a flashlight handy, but... The iPhone really changed that. But you forget that you run and you quickly find that you have forgotten in the room. You think you have a straight line for the door and it's just right there and out until you remember that your son was playing with these little Tonka trucks and his construction trucks and his plethora of tractors that were given to him by his JoJo. And you forget that those are lying there in ambush, waiting for your feet. You don't see it. You don't even realize it the reality of the ambush that's set for the bottom of your foot until, boom, you step on it. And then you have quite an experience where you're screaming, you're yelling, they're yelling. It's the middle of the night. There's confusion. It's great. But light, you illuminate that. It drives out the darkness. Everywhere you point a flashlight, the light drives out the darkness before it, and you see the reality of what's waiting for you. You're able to sidestep that, to miss that trap that has been laid for you unintentionally. And you're able to get around that. And we also know, it's just my own life as a kid, there's, there's something so protective about light. I, I don't think it's you know, uncommon for, for children to want a night light. You know, something in their room in the darkness that brings security, that brings comfort. For me, it was a lava lamp. And I always remember this lava lamp just going back and forth, and it was so much fun to watch. But really, it wasn't, I didn't have it in the room because it was fun to watch, but it, the light made me feel safe in the darkness. So light, just physically, we know it brings life, it guides us, it see, helps us see reality, and it is a, is a portion of protection, it gives our heart protection. Light is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that's partially why God chooses many different pictures that he uses in Scripture to represent himself. One of them here is light. And it's not just here. Just to kind of step back and see a big picture in Scripture, we know from the very beginning, in Genesis, there, the earth is formless, it is dark, it is void. Some translations say it's chaos over the deep. And the first creative act that God chooses to do is to create... Light. He creates light, and He separates light and darkness. He says it is good. And then we fast forward all the way to the end of Scripture, and we get to the new heaven and the new earth, and it says, in the new heaven new earth there will be no more sun. So it's going to be darkness? No. The sun, S-U-N, has been replaced by the all-encompassing presence of the sun, S-O-N. No more need for a physical light because the glory of God is the light of the new heaven and the new earth. So beginning, end, light is mentioned. It is, it is highlighted in Scripture. And then all throughout God's Word, light is used as in representing His character. In some ways, it's holiness. some ways, it's knowledge. some ways, it's guiding, as I said. Grace, revelation, watchfulness, protection, favor, and then John, in specifically, of the 72 times that light is referenced in the New Testament, he's going he's to have 33 of those references. And almost each time there is a cohesion with light and life. 1 John 1, 4 says, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. His life illuminated, it exposed, it revealed, it manifested the reality of what true life was meant to be. One author once said, to be truly living is to know the presence of God in our heart. Now you think of the contrast of that. The contrast is to not have and not know the presence of God in your heart and the author would go to say, then that's not really living. That's just a fraction. That is just scratching the surface of life. Eighty years, it goes in a blink of an eye. That is, so it's not just physical life that God wants us to know, but His life in us to reveal, to protect, to guide, to walk with us, to expose and reveal. All there. And then later in John chapter 8, in verse 12, Jesus is going to say of Himself, I am The light of the world, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in that verse, we get a word that John is going to reference here in 1 John chapter 1. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now there's this idea of walking in darkness in the light, as He is in the light. So we come to the, our section of Scripture that we read. Chapter 1, verse 5, John has just, in the first four vo- verses, kind of given what a testimony is. He's talked about, you know, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have touched concerning the word of life. He's been manifested, and we've seen it. He's been manifested, we have heard it. We reveal these truths. In, the, in verse 4, he says, these things we write, so our joy may be made complete or that our joy as Christians may be matured as we continue this life that we don't just see and understand and believe in once at salvation, but that is a life that is every single day all-encompassing of ours. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, and now we announce to you. And it's a simple message that he starts with. Of all the things to start with, of all the you know, theology proper, of all the uh, things of God that he could begin with, he chooses to say, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. You know, Charlie, if you remember when Charlie was going through 1 John, one of the things that he referenced about John's uh, writings here is that this, this book, this writing is so simple. You know, some of the, it's one of the books that has the most simple sentences in all of Scripture. It's just, it's not meant to be confusing. And sometimes we confuse the most simple things because we walk in a world of deception. We have an enemy who's the father of lies. And John just wants to, just to start for us to come back to the very beginning. Maturity develops to the degree that we really see, we understand, we walk, we know, we touch, and we continue to believe that God is light. And that in Him, there is not a touch of darkness. There is not a question of darkness. There is not a doubt of darkness in Him. There is not one moment where Jesus is going to have a question in His mind to say, I could be this, or I could represent myself as something negative, or prideful, or selfish, or self-seeking. In Him is light, holiness, favor, guidance, knowledge, revelation, protection. There is no darkness in Him. What is darkness? Darkness is the antithesis to light. It's the opposite of light. It is everything that God is not. Darkness in Scripture is represented by wickedness, by condemnation, by fear, by destruction, by death. And as this verse is, these verses are going to go on to say, and by lying, by not practicing and walking in what is true. So this proclamation that he starts, that we start with, is this. God is light. God is life. He's the light of life. And as we seek to not just understand it mentally, But as we truly believe it in our hearts, that will display itself in what we practice, in what we walk in, in what we choose to abide in. So this is what he goes on to say as we continue these verses. It's about this idea of walking. What direction and what source are we walking from? He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, verse 6, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's not God who has been, you know, who has deceived. Us. It's not God who's wrong. It's not his word that has failed. No, we lie. And we have chosen to walk in darkness. Walking is very personal to me right now, not because I have this like weird obsession with walking, not because I, you know, was a speed walker in high school or anything like that, but because my three children, uh, so close together, they all, you know, are, are walking, and once one gets out of that walking phase, then the other seems to kind of be starting in that phase. Um, our daughter, Brielle, decided in her life that she hated tummy time. Now, students, if you don't know this, and guys in particular, you're like, tummy, what's, what's the big deal? Tummy time, what's the, you know, who cares? Well, I didn't know either until my daughter was born and she hated this. So she did not like tummy time. Well, tummy time is a part of a you know child psychology that learns you know to keep your head up and then from your tummy you begin to crawl. It's kind of the natural progression. You go from tummy to crawl, crawl to kind of standing, standing to walking, walking to running. Right? There's a progression, there's a process in which development begins. It's mental and it's physical. When you decide to remove part of the process it's not like you know the whole thing is done and you're forever going to be stuck on the ground but that leap is a hard leap to make she never crawled she just went from laying on her back and kind of rolling over here and there to kind of standing then immediately deciding to walk and that resulted in falls she never learned how to fall properly, that were horrific. I mean, they were terrible. Her balance was some of the worst I've ever seen. And just trying to be objective here. That first year was terrifying. It was a terrifying year. She had so many bruises and bumps on her face. And you just felt terrible as a parent. You're walking into the grocery store, and all these people are like, you know, they, they see her, and you know the bruise, and you're like, she did it. <laughs> she chose this. It's not me. You, know, you really don't feel good as a parent when, you know, your daughter has this massive bruise on her face and everyone's judging you and she chose that. <laughs> but just as a a child learns to be on their tummy and then learns to then progress to crawling and then sitting and there's a process of progression that we make in the development of our physical life, there's also a process of progression in understanding what it means to walk in the light. And if that process of progression is not being matured, if it's not developing, we will have horrific falls. We will be bloodied and bruised from that leap and we, in turn, rather than progressing and, and really walking in what is true and what is the light that God has saved us to know and the life that God has for us, there is no gray. It says, if it's not light, then it's darkness. If it's not of God, then it is against Him. There is no in-between. There is no neutrality in this world. And so this fork in the road, growing in maturity spiritually, the question is, Am I walking according to the light, or am I walking according to the darkness? Am I growing and maturing in walking the light? Or am I maturing in practicing what is sin and what is against God? One road naturally speaks to us and says, In this you will have life. It's the lie that God that, that, that the enemy has spun from the very beginning. There's a, there's a road, there's a way which seems right to a man, Scripture says in Proverbs, and in the end, it is death. And the flesh tells us, walking according to the light, justifying sin, concealing sin, lying about what you know, we believe and, and then therefore do something different, there's a lie that's in there, it's not a big deal, we'll move right on, just keep the train rolling. And it leads to death. And it leads to destruction. And we'll see the consequences here in a little bit. The other road seems foolish. It seems vulnerable. It kind of seems a little scary. You know, as we are walking in the light, there's exposure there. And and, and some of us, we don't like being exposed. We don't like being vulnerable. We we like to keep it surface level, happy, hunky-dory, you know. And James is going to say, no. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those you know, who really see the reality of sin and are repenting of that. God is not content with that. It seems like it's going to lead to death, but in the end, it actually leads to life and a further maturing in the life that God has saved us to know. And you might think, you know what, the choice is easy. Of course I want to walk in the light. Of course I'm going to choose the light. Of course I'm going to choose the Lord. Until life meets us with a very valid option of lying and sin there's a reason that we sin because it's appealing to our fleshly nature there's a reason that we lie because it appeals to our pride there's a reason that we conceal and hide away because it is appealing to our flesh and in the end it is death so let's look at this a bit more what sin leads to in this chapter and really what I want to Big picture here is is walking in darkness leads to two things, and walking in light is going to lead to two things. We're going to start with walking in darkness. Walking in darkness, very clearly from the very beginning, says the first thing that will be true in us is actually the opposite of truth. It's a lie. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Practice, walking, these are synonymous terms that... John is going to use throughout this scripture, practice walking, abiding. It's just what we choose to obey. We lie. Well, what's the purpose of lying? Why do we lie? At the end of the day, it's for concealment. It's to, to hide away the truth. We're maybe scared of the truth. We don't like the truth, and so we lie. Well, the first person who is hurt in lying is yourself. We lie and do not practice the truth and we do not walk in what is true of us. That hurts our relationship with the Father. We are hurt in that. So why do we do it? Why do we lie? Why do we try to conceal our sin? John 3.20 says, For everyone who hates, uh, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So it seems the, the foundation of why we conceal, why we hide and why we lie is fear. And let's be honest, fear is an incredibly powerful motivator. Fear calls us to do, in some, some cases, the supernatural. Fear is a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful emotion. And when used in the wrong hands and to the wrong ends, it's a really good liar. It is a really good liar. And so in fear of the light, the exposure that light brings, we hide. We run away. And that in and of itself comes back to the very beginning of Genesis. That is pride. Fear comes from pride. Concealment comes from pride. The pride of what we call self-preservation. Self-preservation. I need to protect myself. And by exposing my life, by walking in vulnerability, by walking in the light, then I'm going to be exposed. What I say is going to be tested by what I do. What I do is going to be tested by what I say. God's going to expose my life. Mind, Psalm 139 goes into a big, big explanation at the very beginning of that chapter about God who scrutinizes our thoughts. And you're like, that's terrifying. For people to know what I think, for people to know what I do, and not what I say, and vice versa, and that they're going to call me on it, and they're going to call me a hypocrite, and I'm going to be exposed. And so we run. And we flee. And we hide for self-preservation, to protect Myself. myself. But that's walking in darkness. That is using darkness to hide. And that self preservation might feel like protection for myself, but what it's doing, scripture says, is that it is throwing others under the bus. I am protecting myself, and that's fine and good, we think, but what we don't see is the effect that it has then on others. And so I feel safe but my fellowship with others is now in jeopardy. It goes on to say in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so the contrast of that is if we walk in darkness, then we are not cultivating, we're not experiencing, we're not enjoying, we're not practicing, we're not living in the fellowship and the harmony that God has called us into as one body. So in this lie, in this concealment, you're safe, you feel safe. It's a, you're not safe, we'll get to that. But you feel safe, but what you are now putting under the bus, what you now risk, and what you're now jeopardizing is our fellowship with one another. And he's going to go on to say, really, the fellowship by the blood of Jesus that we have vertically there with the Lord. Case in point in Scripture is King David. King David. 2 Samuel, King David, up on the rooftop, time where he shouldn't be, sees something that he shouldn't have seen, chooses to look again as he should not have done, and lies to himself really by justifying his actions, taking Bathsheba into his bed. There's adultery that's there, but then he continues in that lie, and in that concealment, what happens it's not just he's hurt, but Bathsheba's hurt in this process. And it doesn't just stop with Bathsheba. Scripture goes on to say, more people get thrown under the bus here. Ultimately, it's going to be Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. That's going to, it's this, this, David's sin and his self-preservation is going to lead to Uriah's death. And then he has to get Joab in on it. So Joab obviously knows that something's up because he's sending one of David's mighty men, one of his best soldiers, to the front line. And when the fighting's the fiercest, They're just going to pull back on him, and they're just going to leave him high and dry for the purpose of death. Joab obviously knows something's up here, so Joab gets brought into the picture, and he's now involved in this sin. And David speaks of this self-preservation, of this lying that is happening in his life. Flip over with me to Psalm 32, a familiar psalm. In verse 3, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And that's just not a metaphor. That's not a picture of what's happening to him. Almost every translator is going to say that we think is literal. That he began to really be sick from this sin and the concealment of this sin. That it was truly a burden to his physical body. He was wasting away and dying. It was just all-encompassing to him. Because again, the flesh tells us there's a way which seems right to a man but Scripture says, in the end, it is death. That's the reality of it. David experienced that. Keep your finger to Psalm uh, 32. We'll, we're going to come back to that and finish that out. I, uh, I was in my office Friday night thinking about this a lot, really kind of poring over these ver- verses, and just kind of staring into this painting I have in my office. And I just, took, on my iPad here, did one of those... Um, what is it called? You speak into your phone and it, and it puts it onto the text. What is it called? Text edit? Text edit? Sure. I'm talking into my iPad. Just kind of, I'm just kind of talking my thoughts out loud and the iPad's listening and it's like writing down, things down. Voice dictation. There it is. Voice dictation. This is just some, a thought. I, I wrote down. I went on. I later looked back and I was like, you know, it's kind of a good Meditation. Rather than trying to paraphrase that, I'm just going to read it. The rejection that we fear when we sin and the exposure of our sin to others causes us to hide our sin and conceal our sin. And in this, we think that we will have a better relationship with people, a fuller relationship with people, a real relationship with people. But now, nothing could be further from the truth because our relationship is is based on a perpetual lie rather than the truth. It is based on self-preservation, which is pride, rather than humility, which seeks the betterment of others. Lies never affect just me. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Our fellowship with one another is and absolutely will be negatively affected the longer we choose to walk in darkness and walk in its deception of sin, Warren Wiersbe grabbed a little note from history about Abraham Lincoln that I appreciated. Abraham Lincoln once said that if a man is going to be a liar, he better have a good memory. When a person uses says when a person uses up all of his energy pretending, he has nothing left for living. And life becomes shallow and tasteless. I really appreciate that. When we choose to walk in darkness, and darkness manifests itself by lying to one another, lying against our testimony, choosing to obey the lust of the flesh, choosing to obey the boastful pride of life, and we justify it, it is a constant charade in the lives of one another. Thinking, I'm not that bad, and, you know, justifying it is a constant is constantly on our mind. It takes up so much of our attention that we have nothing left for living, and life becomes shallow and tasteless. A full-time job. But, here's the contrast. But, if we walk in the light, verse 7, as He Himself is in the light, if we choose a life of vulnerability, of honesty and truth, and exposure, it's not death. Rather now, fellowship is further cultivated, fellowship with one another is further grown. He says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now we know that we have been, that moment of salvation, we are sealed in Christ. The forgiveness is Positionally, ours. We are holy and blameless in God's eyes. He sees His Son. But experientially, we don't always believe that. Experientially, we don't always feel that. Experientially, we don't always reckon on that reality. But when we walk in the life as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship horizontally with one another as God has saved us to know. And We are now walking experientially in the cleansing, the purifying work that God has given to us on the cross through his Son, Jesus Christ, that we might enter into fellowship with simplicity and purity of devotion before God, completely naked before him. And God says, Now we begin, now we start fresh. And our flesh tells us, that's terrifying, right? If I knew your thoughts, if I knew, you know, what you say of yourself and what you do, uh, if I knew that a fraction of of, of how we do that just in public or even just in private, man, you would look at me in a very different way. I would look at you in a very different way. You know, we would definitely have, like, space between us. It wouldn't bring us closer together. It would probably separate us a little bit more. But God when He sees and when He knows, when He examines and when He exposes, and we allow the light to really sanctify and cleanse us and really show us, He draws near to us. He pursues us even greater. He pursues us even, not even greater, but we realize that His pursuit is even greater than we thought. He is drawing nearer and closer to us and not running from us. But His desire is to cleanse us, is to purify us. So let us walk together in the light so that we have fellowship with one another horizontally. And James 5 talks about this, right? Confess your sins to one another and there's healing there. Because as we live lives of vulnerability, lives that are just really transparent, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, my heart is open wide to you. As we live with hearts open wide to each other, it's a very real picture of how we are treating viewing and walking with the Lord. But if we are running, if we are hiding, if we are lying to one another, then we're affected, others are affected, and now our relationship with the Lord vertically is also affected. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We try to pull the wool over the, uh, the eyes of the maker of this universe, the maker of our frame, the very author and source of truth itself, who who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Is that not the essence of pride? But where sin produces humiliation and in fear leads us to flee God's presence, exposure of our sin, and as he goes on to say, confession of, of our sin does not lead to fear, but it leads us to security. It leads us to comfort. It leads us to purity. It leads us to faithfulness. It leads us to righteousness. This is why God pursues us, because He is jealous for us to know this cleansing, to know this light of life. It's not light of exposure for death or humiliation and shame. It's light for life. This is God's heart toward us when we sin. And when we choose, and we practice, knowingly or unknowingly, to walk in darkness. Right now, we are in somewhat of a, still, potty training mode with Brielle. I never realized how hard potty training is. Wow. Man, I'm so ready to be done. And I've only just begun. But we're still in this with Brielle, and uh, Jewel and I have have both learned very quickly what the cues are in which, you know, she needs to go to the bathroom. And so we try to always be watching out for that and, you know, seeing that. And when those cues, you know, happen, then we try to take her. But sometimes we miss it, you know. Callum's banging on my face, you know, Jewel's crying, whatever. And we, we just miss that cue, and a little bit happens before we get to the bathroom. Right or a little bit comes and we just didn't catch it in time and so unbeknownst to us you know I start walking over there to her Jewel starts walking over there to her and immediately when that's happened there's this look in her eye is like deer in headlights she knows what's happened she knows that she should not have done that and immediately when we just come over to say hey it's time to go or hey um, you know don't throw a stick she's just like no and she runs I mean and we're on the hilltop and like. She can run, <laughs> like, far. You know, it is like she has a pep in her step when this has happened. Her first and immediate reaction when she knows that she has done something, especially in that scenario that she should not have, is to flee our presence. Now, as her father, I'm not like, that's exactly right. She should, because, man, if she would have stayed, she would have gotten it. That's not my, my heart. It's actually like, no, Brio. <laughs> hey, I don't want to chase you, <laughs> A, I I just don't want to run. <laughs> I wish I had a lasso, but <laughs> but B is like no, Breya. That's not my. That's not my heart. When you have when when you have failed, when you have fallen, I, that I, I don't want to. Correct that in a way with, with anger. I want to show you that I care and there's comfort here. And hey, let's get to the bathroom now so more doesn't come out, right? Like, let's rectify this and fix this as soon as possible, right? I want to draw near her. I want her to tell me. That's my heart. Tell me immediately. I understand it's a process. And God understands hey, this is a process. We're in the progress, you uh, know, the pro- progress is a process. We're not just perfected overnight. It's a process. and so, But when we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, we have that look in our eyes like, I should run. I should hide myself. And God says, no, just come near. Draw near. Come and just confess this. There is not death waiting for you. There is not the fist or you know, just the, the whip that's waiting for you. What the scripture says is waiting for us is the faithfulness. And the righteousness of God, that God desires to forgive us and to cleanse us from this unrighteousness. But our flesh says, run. But the Spirit of God says, run to Him, abide in Him, cling to Him. Confession is the opposite of concealing. It is the action, it is the personal choice where I am bringing up and and choosing to make myself vulnerable. Confession. It is good. It is God's desire of us. Because within confession, there is the heart of humility. Humility, the opposite of pride. In confession, there is the choice to believe that God is going to be faithful. God is going to be righteous. Righteous. He will forgive me. And I choose to believe his promises rather than my own perception of what is true. We meet a God who is not mental and angry or judge and impatient, but rather a God who is righteous and faithful. Based on how? Why? Just because he feels like it? No. Based on the work of Jesus Christ, based on the action and the blood and the sacrifice of his son. That's why he is faithful. That's why he is righteous. Because the forgiveness is not paid based on emotion. It's not based on the scale of whether I think you really deserve it or not, and how many times you've messed up or not. It's based on the work of the spotless Lamb of God. It's based on Jesus and his life. And we are clothed and hid in him. And that's who Jesus sees in us, positionally. That's who Jesus sees. But experientially... Right? That's what's that question. And will we believe that we are in Him? And God says, you are. These are two beautiful words to meet on the basis of sin, on the basis of forgiveness. Faithfulness. Some translations say just. I like that. I, for whatever reason, I've always, um, I've always memorized this verse, faithful and just. It wasn't until like three fourths of the way through my prep that I really realized. It doesn't say just. But it says righteous in ASB, but that's okay. But when we conceal our sin, we, we're really trampling underfoot the blood shared, or that was shared for us on Calvary. It's the very reason Jesus went to the cross. It's the very reason that he's, His blood was spilled for us, that we may be cleansed from the power of sin. Not our hiding, not our preservation, not our pride, but He is faithful. He is righteous. He is faithful to His promises when we are faithless. Psalm 130, verse 1 says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. God is faithful to show us that our choices have consequences, and they wreak havoc, not just in our life, but in the lives of our interactions with others. And God is righteous in his holiness to discipline us, to expose us, not for our shame but for the growth and for the beauty of holiness and purity to be developed in us. This is why we flip back to Psalm 32 and see how David finishes this psalm. After the Selah, he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. That is the life-breathing quality of confession. When we conceal, we waste away. When we confess, we experience the goodness, the faithfulness, the holiness of God that builds us up in righteousness and in purity and in faithfulness. Praise God that He invites us to come. The question to end with is, Will we have an honest heart before the Lord? Listen, God sees our heart, and God knows each of our heart. We are foolish to think otherwise. God sees it, God knows it, and God desires it. Will we be honest and reckon with that to choose to offer ourselves and living and holy sacrifice unto Him, to choose to walk in the light, but by choosing that, to confess our failures, to confess our iniquities, to confess our transgressions. James says to one another, because there's unity in the body, and it's a picture of confession with Him, but ultimately, we'll be honest in our heart, say, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I am wayward. No matter how far I am, I am choosing to turn back to the Lord. It's, the, it's, the, it's really what the prodigal son represents to us. The son who was so far, but he remembers that his father is good. He is righteous. And he turns back to him. It is better in his house than anywhere else. And he turns back to him, and his father meets him with open arms. His father meets him with a ring. His father meets him with a sacrifice. His father meets him with celebration and with joy. And this is God's heart. When we repent, when we come back to Him, and we choose with humility to confess our sins to one another, to confess our sins unto Him, that His goodness, His faithfulness, and His righteousness may be wrought in us. But honesty only comes through humility. And humility is the only characteristic that will allow us to be vulnerable to ourselves. Humility allows us to be vulnerable with others. It's humility that really allows us to be vulnerable with Jesus. And so I pray that we would not run from the light, but that we would live in the light, we would walk in the light, we would abide in the light, and that we would grow in the grace, beauty, and knowledge that is true of the life of Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, for me, I know this has been a a very convicting and very good season of life that you've brought me into. It's exposing the the pride of self-preservation that we so often believe in our flesh. And God, how that effect not only hurts and hinders our own growth, but just how obvious that affects the the lives and fellowship and relationship we have with one another and how that ultimately, Lord, hinders the work that you want to accomplish through us into this world. Father, I pray that we each would be honest with you, that you would create in us a heart of conviction to sin by the Spirit of God who lives in us, and God, the humility of a Spirit of God also to reckon that our sins are cast before you to expose us to those who who, who we have hurt and to know, God, in this process of exposure, in this process of just humbling ourselves before you, Lord, it might feel like it's going to hurt and there's death there, but ultimately, Lord, this is the, the way in which you prosper and grow maturity spiritually in us. This is one of the ways that, God, you are jealous for us to grow in, to be vulnerable before you be vulnerable and transparent before each other, that we may walk in the truth as you are true, and that we may walk in the light as you are light. God, I pray that you bring conviction. pray that you bring courage and enabling. You bring peace of mind as we meditate on these truths and bring them before you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.